you know. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of WA This Week. Looks slightly casual. I've been out in the field today, so no tie, but I'm sure uh, you won't be too disappointed with that. Look, I um, wanted to cover uh, three topics today. First of all, the State Parliamentary Liberal Party has a new member, and that is Marone uh, Beard. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about the issue of development in my electorate and just some of the really mischievous and misleading commentary that's going on around uh, that. What I also want to talk about is uh, a, a current uh, Senate inquiry into the Perth Mint issue. Now, you know, the Labor Party's hoping that's drifted back into the mists of time and no one remembers it, but I do. Um, and uh, I'll be talking to a Senate inquiry about that tomorrow. So, um, it is an interesting topic uh, to cover. But look, let's go back to uh, Marone Beard. Marone Beard uh, is uh, the member for North West Central and she was elected to Parliament uh, in a by-election uh, when Vince Catania, who was a sitting member, had been there for some time, left and Marone was elected as a member of the National Party. The state election or the, the state electoral commission uh, have indicated, or in fact have stated, that they will be abolishing uh, that seat. In fact, they'll be merging the seats of more effectively in North West Central. Now, uh, Shane Love, who's the leader of the National Party, is the incumbent member in Moore. And uh, I think that uh, there was some concern uh, on members' um, part that that, that uh, her seat would disappear and she wouldn't be a Member of Parliament next term. I'm not, uh, as I say, I don't want to ascribe any motives to Mem on this. She can speak for herself on it, but that was a confounding factor, I'm sure, um, in the decision. But also, uh, Mem and what she's publicly stated is that she thought the best way she could represent her electors uh, was to join the Liberal Party, uh, and and that's because after the next election, it's a very high probability. We're obviously aiming to win government then, but there's a very high probability that we will be the major party and there's a good expectation we'll pick up a good number of seats. Um, if we don't win government, uh, we're certainly going to pick up a lot of seats and uh, and uh, Mem sees that as the best way that she can represent her electors. So I welcome Mem. She's a really outstanding member of parliament. Uh, I got to know her really well in the by-election. Look, I was up there uh, in that by-election promoting our candidate, Will Baston, that I said in this forum, a really fantastic young guy, uh, but uh, Mem uh, ended up getting elected into that role, and uh, I actually earned a, a, a great, or you know, a great deal of respect, if you like, for Mem uh, when I was up there. Very impressed with Mem, and I'm really pleased to have her as part of my team. Look, there's media speculation, and this is going to be some great conflagration between the National Party and the Liberal Party. Shane Love is doing a great job as the leader of the opposition and the leader of the National Party. Libby Medham is doing a fantastic job as the leader of the Liberal Party. Um, we'll, uh, we, we'll work through this and uh, we will go together as a strong team leading into the next state election and we'll continue to work effectively in Parliament. I mean, we know that the big game in Western Australia is holding this utterly incompetent Cook Labor government to account um, not devoting energy to uh, having wars with each other. And we won't do that. I won't. Uh, none of my colleagues will. We'll behave like adults, and uh, as we do, uh, unlike the Labor Party. So, look, I welcome uh, them coming over to our team, um, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future with discussions around what arrangements we have going into the, the election and all of that. But that's in the future. It isn't going to diminish our focus on the real task 
which is just pointing out how hopeless this Cook Labor government is. Um, one of the issues that fascinated, we've got a planning bill that will come up in Parliament next week. It's a new planning law. I won't go through it in detail, but this law is the final nail in the coffin of your community having any say whatsoever in planning decisions that happen in your area. Um, the, uh, the bill will completely remove any planning authority from uh, councillors. Um, they're going to have smaller developments, are going to only be allowed to be approved by the bureaucrats within the council. So the people who are completely unanswerable to anyone other than the CEO, and it's only the CEO in a council that can talk to the mayor because the Labor Party put that through a little while ago to completely take uh, councillors out from any discussion uh, uh, or input into the offices that work within the council. So now you've got the CEO of the council, uh, of each council is going to be the king. Um, uh, only the mayor can talk to them, but otherwise the decisions will be the complete uh, purvey for those smaller things like low-cost changes to houses or low-cost housing developments will only be given by the bureaucrats. Um, otherwise, all approvals will be given by uh, what they call JDATs, Joint Development Assessment Panels, which have three external or three bureaucrats, in fact, in this case, because they'll be permanently appointed. And then there are two appointed councillors, but the Councillors have a minority position there, and then they have the State Development Assessment Unit, uh, which will deal with larger developments, again, utterly unaccountable to anyone but themselves, uh, and they'll be making those decisions. And as I say, your council, your councillors, will com be completely removed from the process. So if you're concerned about a development, most of you would go to your local council, and maybe you'd go to your local state member, but typically people would go to their councillors and say, hey, what's going on? and the council has had an opportunity to have input into this. Under this, this Labor government, this great socialist Labor government that believes in the power of the workers and so on, what are they doing? You will have no say in planning decisions in the area. Now, they say, and Minister Carey made this great thing, saying, oh, well, the, the councillors, they can focus on the local planning schemes. And a local planning scheme is the overarching plan that defines what you can do where. You know, can you have factories there? Can you have a school there? You can have a house there. And if you have a house there, what are the things that control, uh, you know, uh, that are uh, there setbacks from boundaries? Are you allowed to build right up to your neighbour's fence or not and the like? Um, and, uh, and they said, they yes, you know, the councillors can focus on that. You know, actually, I'd be moderately relaxed. I wouldn't be completely relaxed. I'd be moderately uh, relaxed. If JDAPS or the SDA, SDAU, which in its current manifestation is actually the WA Planning Commission, if they paid any heed or respect whatsoever to the local planning schemes, the simple point is they don't. They don't respect the local planning schemes. They make decisions completely outside of and very typically, and in fact I'd say this is exclusively what happens, a property developer or a group of people who want to make a buck get together they buy a piece of land with a certain planning uh, rating, so it could have a certain number of one dwelling or a certain number of dwellings on it. Then they go and get approval completely outside your local planning scheme to build many, many times that, many more dwellings. So they give a massive uplift to the value of that piece of land, which wasn't otherwise available to anyone else. Um, and you know what they're doing in a, in a good number of the cases? Those people are doing it. These are supposed to be shovel-ready projects. They're building nothing. You know what they're doing? They're then immediately selling that piece of land at a higher value. 
So this Labor government, the State Planning Commission, are simply massively uh, putting a massive amount of money into a handful of individuals' pockets. Now, you assume eventually you're going to get some monstrosity built on these these uh, sites. Um, you know, that is completely outside the local planning scheme, completely destroys the amenity of, uh, for people living in those areas. Uh, and, uh, uh, and as I say, it's just put money in their pockets. No wonder these uh, various developers inside of the single biggest donors to the Labor Party. No surprise on that one, is there? But I want to make it very clear. Absolutely, I am very pro-development. I We need development. We need new houses based on the government's plan. We're going to need 500,000 new dwellings um, by 2050, which is an eye-watering number uh, and probably won't be achieved. But nevertheless, that's the sort of numbers that you're going to need. So there has to be development. It's sensible development. The Claremont Oval development in my area, really big uplift in density. Uh, you know, I think you've got a 1,000 or more new residences in that area, in a small area. No complaints because it was done in the right place with minimum impact on people in the local community. Unlike the... The, the massive set of apartments being built in literally in the middle of a residential area on the Rose Gardens, which is a war memorial uh, in the town of Claremont, um, and uh, just destroying the amenity for people around that area or what's happening down Sterling Highway, which are totally inappropriate. So there's appropriate development and there are some great developments in Perth. The Subiaco One development uh, in Subiaco, centre of town, nice high-rise apartment, um, doesn't impact on other people, but puts people right next to a railway station and shops. Great development. So, you know, I'm not against development. What I'm against is what this government is doing. It's not planning. It's not nothing like planning. It's ad hoc approvals, completely outside local planning schemes, destroying the amenity for communities and giving them no say whatsoever in it. So what's this space? But uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I will be the lead on this, so I'll get now to talk about it in Parliament, then I'll get a long time to ask questions where we go through the detail of the bill, and I'll be exploring that with the Minister because um, there's too much to cover in this brief forum um, on that one. But, um, you know, this scuttlebutt or this nonsense that local councils are against development or I'm against development is simply a lie uh, to justify egregious uh, behaviour on the part of the Minister. And, uh, you know, listen to what I say, look at what I do, uh, not verbling from uh, Minister Carey and others um, who have their own mischievous purposes for doing it. I'll stop there. But look, um, I want to talk about uh, the Perth Mint, or more particularly, um, there is a Senate Select Committee which is inquiring into the Perth Mint and uh, uh, the Senator Dean Smith, uh, a great Western Australian senator, uh, is heading up that inquiry, and I'm going to give a, a submission to that inquiry tomorrow. But I just want to take you through a little bit. You know, the media hasn't shown a lot of interest in in this whole Perth Mint issue, and it's sort of drifted off the radar, and that's just what Minister Johnson and Premier Cook want. They want everyone to forget uh, what happened there. And I'm not going to reprise the old saga. I have been through that before in this forum. But I did want to talk about um, one of the submissions that's already been made, Austrac have made a submission to that inquiry. Now, Austrac is the regulatory body. They're responsible for making sure that um, that transfer of money is done legally and not done for illegal or improper purposes. And so there's a whole a regime that has to be followed by financial institutions to make sure that they're preventing criminal groups transfer money through banks or, in this case, through the Mint, 
um, uh, and uh, Austrac had good cause to look at Earthmint because of an app that they developed, which allowed, um, certainly could have been an enabler for significant transfer of money illegally through the purchase and resale of gold using an online app. Um, but I just want to read a little bit uh, uh, from their report. And, and Austrac is talking about uh, their submission and just one little part of it. In the expanded assessment, Austrac had regard to public information outlining customers of Gold Corporation and intelligence from our law enforcement partners. Austrac would not say that lightly. So it doesn't appear that this is some idle thing, as Minister Johnson and Minister Cook would have us believe. Um, clearly, there are some serious issues uh, and those issues that have been raised. And I'll just read a little bit more of Austrac's uh, submission, and that is, now it goes on to say, where the Austrac CEO has reasonable grounds to suspect that a reporting entity is contravened, is contravening, or is proposing to contravene the provisions of the AML slash CTF Act, which is around uh, the way you uh, manage and report transactions, um, the CEO may require the reporting entity to appoint an external auditor. On the 30th of August 2022, Austrac ordered the appointment of an external auditor to the Gold Corporation to assess its compliance with its obligations under Section 162 of the AML-CTF Act. Uh, Austrac considered the above action necessary, given sufficient concerns that Gold Corporation may have contra contravened or may be contravening provisions of that Act. Um, doesn't sound like any just ordinary thing that you would wave away, does it? So I'm looking forward to my opportunity to talk to the um, that committee, that select committee tomorrow. Um, more particularly, I'm really looking forward to uh, the the findings of that committee. You know, one of the things I've said to you, and I'll say it again and again, as long as I'm here, I think disappointingly I might, but I have to say, and that is, that this Labor government, this Cook Labor government, is the least transparent government in the history of Western Australia. They hide everything. They they just will not come clean uh, when there are issues. You know, look, everyone makes mistakes. I know I make mistakes. You know, everyone does. That's human. When you're in government, you've got to make decisions. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you don't. That's life. The important thing is when you get it wrong, when you make a mistake, you come out, you admit it. I've been in that position very embarrassingly. Sometimes, and you come out, you you admit that you've done something that that you know wasn't right. Uh, you apologise, and and then you make sure you don't do it again, and you get on with your life. And so that's what they should do in relation to this. But they've done everything they can to hide. As I say, in particular, just sweep it all under the carpet. Um, as I say, nothing to see here. So I am really interested to uh, see uh, the outcome of this inquiry, but. Uh, look, I'm not uh, privy to uh, all of the detail that Austrac told that inquiry, but quite clearly, it's very clear from that public submission that they had serious concerns, and those serious concerns, apart from other things, was based on intelligence from their law enforcement partners. So um, interesting times ahead in relation to that. Look, otherwise, thank you very much for listening to WA This Week. Um, and don't forget, you can subscribe on any of your favourite apps, um, and uh, you can see it the video on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, or TikTok, just by searching Dr. Dave Honey. Look, please share with your friends. Um, it's great to get the message out there. I appreciate your feedback. I've had, you know, some strident feedback over the last week, which I was, you know, took on board and was pretty interested in and, uh, and very happy for any questions you may have now. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. All right. Uh, what 
uh, are WA doing about the paintball? New South Wales has them as a sporting implement, not yeah, look, that was the, the, the act that, that's already been changed and gone through. And I think the, um, the concern at that level was that some of those um, paintball guns are very uh, lifelike and the concern that was expressed by the police, and that's what the minister was reacting to, was that um, those weapons could be used in robberies uh, because people might have the mistaken belief that they're a real weapon. Um, and uh, you know, so that was the basis of it, as was explained to us in Parliament. And so they were included in the Act. Now, um, look, I, I did actually look at some of those, and I did see some of those weapons. Some of them, in particular, are very, very lifelike. And I know, look, I know for all of the experts who may be watching, I know that you would pick it in a flash, and you'd go, "Oh no, look at the bore of the thing and whatever." And yeah, you know exactly what it is. Um, but particularly with perhaps some modification, there might be some people who were up to the wrong thing misusing those. So I think that's um, that's in the that is actually in the that's actually already passed. That's in the previous amendments to the Firearm Act, um, and I suspect that that's likely to stay there for the future. There are some references, and can I say, look, in relation to the the act that the minister's been talking about, we haven't actually seen that. Okay, all we know is what you know. And that is from various pronouncements and uh, press announcements and otherwise. Otherwise, there's nothing for us to look at. So we've only been able to react as to what the minister said he's going to do, uh, not what's actually written down on paper. Uh, Craig says Shane Love needs to hand over the leadership to Libby. Look, um, that's up to to, to Shane. I mean, look, it's a, it's a really, you know, for those of you that are uh, students of constitutional law, this would be, a, you know, an interesting time. Um the, the leader of the opposition formally is um, the leader of the, the party with the next largest number of members other than the government. So that is the next party, the next biggest party in the Legislative Assembly. So it doesn't matter how many people you've got in the upper house. It only counts in the Legislative Assembly. Now, up until this point, that's been pretty straightforward. There's always been one other party that's had more members than the others. Um, uh, in this last election, as you know, disappointingly for uh, our side, you know, we were smashed and we ended up with only two members in the lower house, Libby Metton and myself, uh, but there were four national uh, members in the lower house. Therefore, the leader of the national party was the leader of the opposition. Now we've got an unusual situation, three and three. Uh, so um, there's no precedent for that. Um, the Speaker of the Parliament and the Speaker if they were called upon, would have to make a ruling on this. The Honourable Michelle Roberts, who's a really top-notch uh, person, can I say, in that role and does it really well. Um, uh, the Speaker would would need to make... Well, what the Speaker has said is until we collectively come together and say that that has changed, it, it hasn't changed. Now, look, you know, there's discussions between the two parties. You know, I'm obviously not going to chat about those intimate details um, in this forum, but uh, you know those discussions will go on. I mean, Libby Meadows made it really clear she's doing one, she's doing a fantastic job, and two, she's made it really clear she's not going to be distracted by this. Look, at the end of the day, come the next election, if things go the way they're looking to go now, the Liberal Party will be um, the opposition. You know, formally, will will likely have a some sort of alliance or coalition arrangement with the National Party in doing that, um, and that'll all be clear at the next election. 
you know, and people will know that clearly going into the next election, that that is going to be the case. And we'll be putting our best foot forward with outstanding candidates and excellent policies. So we're not going to get too fussed about it. Look, and we're definitely not going to start some sort of, you know, waste our time fighting with each other. The Labor Party is destroying the state. You know, it's not just their planning laws. This, you know, the, the, the stuff they're doing in the energy space, which I'll talk about at a later time, is really destructive. So, um, you know, we're going to focus on that and we're going to do our best to represent all of you in doing that. Okay, bit of a long one here. Hi, David. Can you please give us an update on the Liberal Party's view on the proposed changes to the state's viral laws? Some of the Liberal MLAs and MLCs have been quite supportive, but we have heard nothing from leadership. As he mentioned last week, the draft laws are not available yet, but can you give us some indication on what your th- thoughts are uh, regarding the consultation paper that's already been released? Also, would the party leadership be prepared to give its public support to the fire? arm at a petition that has gained almost 8,000 signatures? Uh, look, a um, couple of things. I mean, obviously the petition, you know, you always look at petitions and, and take those on board, and especially if you've got 8,000 signatures, that's a lot of signatures. So clearly there's some, you know, there's a big group of people with strong views um, in relation to that. Look, we'll, you know, I can't talk on behalf of the party. That would be wrong um, because my party room colleagues and I have not, one, we haven't seen what's actually come forward. In, well, you know, look, sorry, I'll go back one step. The devil is always in the detail. I've mentioned this a few times. You know, we have ministers talking in general terms about what they want to do. You know, it's so much bump. What you want to read is what's on the paper. That's what the police will ultimately look at. That's what the courts will ultimately look at when they're deciding matters. It's what's written on the paper. And I've been amazed at how many times ministers say things and you read the bill, and it just isn't the case. What they've said just isn't the case. It's always that important detail, and we'll be, I'll be doing that, and um, going through that in detail when they get to it. Look, my, you know, I, I think I sort of outlined my general principles. I think some people got upset because I used the term uh, weapon and not gun or firearm. Well, you know, um, yep, you can um, call it um, whatever you like. Um, I grew up in a farm. You know, I've used guns my whole life, um, I, you know, just to be declaration of uh, potential conflict of interest here, I own uh, firearms um, because we've still got a farm uh, down south, um, you know, so, uh, you know, and, and I know that there are various categories of uh, for people with firearms. There are people who are passionate collectors of firearms. If I read the previous act, there are some people who are passionate collectors of ammunition, which I can imagine that could be quite interesting. Um, there are people who are sporting shooters. There are people who are recreational shooters. Um, there are people who regularly participate in vermin control, even though they're not property owners. They regularly participate in assisting property owners, the you know, farmers and the like, station owners, uh, in vermin control. So there are all sorts of reasons uh, why people should own guns. Some people who have guns are criminals. That's a very, very, very small group. Um and, you know, I'd prefer that criminals don't have guns. Now, you might say, well, you can't stop them. They're criminals. That's what they do. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we want to make sure that people who are bad actors don't have them. Equally, we want to make sure that people that use those firearms safely for legitimate purposes aren't penalised, you know, and aren't necessarily victimised. One of the concerns I've had is there seems to be an attitude from this Labor government that somehow or other you're a bad person if you own 
you know, you own a gun or you own a firearm. Well, you know, that's just ridiculous. But you, you sort of hear that sort of dialogue. There's this sort of constant thing of, oh, you should be grateful or somehow or other, you really, you shouldn't have it. Um, um, there are circumstances where people who are, are licensed firearm owners, perhaps, um, you know, there's an argument that there are times if, for example, if someone's gone going through a very bad domestic um, breakup situation, we know that there are periods when when guns are used in those circumstances to kill someone. So, you know, it's not a, this is not a sort of a black and white trivial thing where you can just go, oh, well, it's easy to say this and then it's not that. It is this sort of thing. You know, it's all very black and white. It isn't black and white. But my basic principle is um, there are there's nothing wrong with people owning guns. There are good reasons for people owning guns, which I've outlined. We shouldn't make, I've said this last week, we shouldn't have laws which make criminals of good law-abiding people. And, and that's one of the risks with this bill. We'll see it when it comes through. But we don't want ordinary good people who are acting in good intent, uh, with good intent, I should say, being made criminals. And if you look at, you know, even under the previous bill and you expect under this bill, very substantial penalties, but, you know, not just uh, substantial financial penalties, but substantial jail penalties as well. And, you know, you don't want someone who thinks they're doing the right thing to end up in that situation. So, look, I hope that sort of covers it. When we get the detail of the bill, I'm happy to talk about it um, uh, more. Um, but, you know, I recognise there have to be some controls, but equally, as I say, uh, don't penalise people who are doing the right thing. Okay, regarding the councils, uh, local councils, accountability is everyone's major concern. The people of WA deserve to have el the elected people to have the final say, not appointed bureaucrats. Look, I reckon you're spot on. Um, the it you know I, I find it fascinating as I say these great bleeding heart socialists are all about everyone having input into everything they want everyone to have input into everything that they like in their groups but they don't want you to have any input into what happens in your suburb and I do I tell you what one of the most offensive things I saw it in the paper again yesterday and this thing of oh this is just nimbies you know they use this insult it's just an insult uh, no articulation of what they mean. Um, do you know the, uh, around 98% of all planning approvals uh, were done by councils inside the statutory time limit? This absolute lie that if the minister says it or any other people in the property industry say it, if they say that there was any significant hold-up of planning approvals by councils, they are either utterly ignorant or deliberately telling a lie. Only two choices, utterly ignorant or deliberately telling a lie, because councils overwhelmingly, in the overwhelming majority of cases, um, did all of their approvals well within the statutory time frame. That's the objective evidence. It's not me making something up. That's the, that's the objective evidence from past approval history. So to say that you need this bill because councils weren't doing, doing approvals is a lie. That is a lie. And that minister and his department are in a position to know that that's the case. So why do they say it? Why do they say that? They say it because it's propaganda. They say it because they want to justify the unjustifiable. And you're spot on. You know, this isn't about the Western suburbs. This is about every house in Western Australia, not just Cottesloe, Bassendean, Bayswater, Mount Lawley, Girrawee, 
uh, wherever you want to go, Waterloo, you know, this is Muck and Boudin, Bruce Rock, you know, Esperance, Cunanara. This is every single household in Western Australia is going to be affected by these laws. And it means that someone wants to build a five-storey block immediately with all the windows looking in your backyard uh, so that you will have no privacy whatsoever, so that you can't let your children out there lest someone's observing them. Uh, you know, you will have no say whatsoever, no recourse to anyone whatsoever. This bill completely excludes you. There is no appeal right. Uh, there is no right for your council, your councillors, to have any say in this. So let's be clear about this. Absolutely, you're spot on. They're absolutely removing any and uh, any accountability for this. And the people that are going to be doing those approvals are utterly faceless, utterly unaccountable. And what they've shown consistently is they utterly disregard local planning schemes where councils have properly said, yeah, look, we're fine with development here. We're fine with higher density here, but hey, we don't want it here just in the ordinary uh, suburban areas. That's gold uh, under these laws. Um, will a Liberal government commit to giving the public what they want and repeal the rushed labour legislation for the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act and firearms uh, reform and replace it with sound evidence-based policy? Uh, look, we're always going to go for sound evidence-based policy, and as I say, until we see this new legislation, um, you know, I can't specifically comment on the firearms bill. In relation to the Aboriginal cultural heritage, it is a really vexed issue now. Um, the government have said they're going to repeal that other legislation. That's sort of working its way through. So the 2021 laws actually apply now. And as I've said to you before, despite the Cook uh, government saying, the Labor government saying they're going to treat softly on it, they haven't. And we've had... Uh, there's been more than two prosecutions, but there were two sort of headline prosecutions in situations where I think most people think, oh, how could that possibly lead to someone being prosecuted? Um, so um, we'll definitely be looking at that whole area of Aboriginal cultural heritage. And as I've said, very clear. Who doesn't respect that you should be careful about maintaining you know, Aboriginal cultural heritage? And what we talk about overwhelmingly is physical Aboriginal cultural heritage. Jukun Lodge was supposed to child for it. Well, there was a cave that had th evidence of thousands of years of occupation by Aboriginal people, um, archaeological evidence, you know, implements and fire remnants and all of the things that go with there. Any of you that saw a photo of that, you'd go, who in their right mind would blow that up? Well, that was just crazy. And, uh, you know, that shouldn't have been allowed. And, and, and appropriately, there was a lot of outcry about that. Um, but equally, there's a lot of stuff around now applying uh, mythological stories and saying, well, you can't do something because there's some mythological story associated with an area, but it crosses right over all normal private property rights. Um, so we need to look at that. You know, it has to be, this has to be done carefully. I respect the fact um, that you need to protect Aboriginal cultural heritage, not just Aboriginal cultural heritage, can I tell you. There's a lot of European heritage that is not respected either, but, you know, we need to make sure we've got sound laws about that. But it, you can't have a situation where effectively you can't do anything on your land unless you pay people um, to consult and pay people for approval to do things on your land when it's freehold property. So we're definitely going to look at that in detail. Um, and in fact, you know, we'll have something to say about that, I'm pretty sure, um, when we come into the next election. It's not my shadow area. The Honourable Neil Thompson is the our shadow for that area, but uh, I fully expect that we'll have some good things to say about that coming into the next election. 
What about the stealth fighter jets and what's happening with this up north? Smells fishy. Well, it smells fishy to me because I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Um, look, um, we do, I'm not sure, and but I'd be happy for you to enlighten me on on uh, on the sort of perhaps the precise concern. We do do a lot of joint exercises um, with the United States, increasingly so. Um, you'd know that, you know, there's, Tension to our north, as people say, um, a little bit euphemistically, but there's concerns that China has gone from just being a normal state actor to being in a more expansionist and more aggressive mode. Uh, and so a whole range of nations, not just Australia, have become very concerned about their border. Countries like the Philippines are actually feeling the sharp end of this, where they've had, you know, 200 ships roll up and effectively cede islands to their north. Uh, with uh, Chinese saying these are our islands. Um, uh, it doesn't receive a lot of coverage, but, you know, so this isn't just some idle speculation. There are real things happening um, in this space. So as a consequence of that, Australia has strengthened its relationship with the US even more, and so we see a lot more joint exercises. But if it's not that, let me know. Um, happy, to, happy to talk about it, but I just don't know uh, the specific issue. Uh, why does Cook need to go to China with Albo? Why doesn't China come to WA? We've got the product they want. Um, look, uh, look, it is important. You know, we are a great um, exporting state. We are, you know, you sort of uh, we're used to to what we're used to. You know, we're used to what happens here and so on. Uh, perhaps a lot of people in Western Australia don't recognise we are one of the great trading states of the world. Uh, really, you know, on a, on a remarkable scale uh, in terms of particularly uh, raw materials, iron ore, um, natural gas, but also a whole range of mineral products. I mean, 60% of the world's lithium supply comes out of the green bushes, right? 60%. So think of all of those electric vehicles all over the world. 60% of the, the lithium in their batteries is coming from Western Australia. So I think I've labored the point. We're a great trading nation. And it's important that the, the Premier of our state understands the customers, and China's a big customer of ours, um, and other parts, well, all around the world. It's important that the Premier goes uh, and forms relationships. In a lot of those countries, I think many of you would know, um, those one-on-one those -on -one relationships are very important. Look, issues come up. There are problems. There are concerns. There are issues around tariffs or you know, issues around barriers or particular trade issues. It's important that the you know the premier of the day can actually get on the phone to somebody's met and and talk about that and so on. So if I'm I'm not opposed to the premier going away, although I might say uh, this premier seems to enjoy going away a lot more than he does staying at home and fixing up problems. You know, I've just given a big big sort of you know uh, raz to the need for the premier to to have those relationships, but you know, equally, uh, don't overdo it. And I think that's a bit of a concern. I think the media have been saying this, um, you know, when there are really serious problems at home, maybe better you stay at home. Even more important, I've had this ridiculous thing. Uh, I think it was China or going to uh, Japan. I'll stand corrected on which one it was. But both the Premier and the Deputy Premier went together. So, um, you know, you'd all know the story of the royal family. I mean, the, you know, the Queen and then... Uh, uh, the, the next in line to the throne don't travel in the same plane together because, you know, if the plane crashes, they uh, you lose your, your top leadership. And uh, not quite sure why the Premier and the Deputy Premier had to go away at the same time. 
So we were we were taken back to the leader of the upper house, the Honourable Sue Ellery, being the leader of the state while both of them were away. Mm, it sounds like they enjoy travel, doesn't it? Um, at a fourth generation primary producer, looking at the new firearms, Labor want to cap the number of volunteers I can use to help conduct vermin and pest control on my property. This is a huge overreach of government power on my private property. Yeah, look, and I'll I'll have a good look at that because absolutely, I mentioned to you before the categories of people. I'm sure someone will come back and tell me I missed three, but um, you know, in terms of people that own firearms, and as you pointed out, um, particularly on larger properties, it's not uncommon. Um, and look, uh, for a club, for example, for a gun club to come down and and assist with shooting weapons. I remember vividly when I was a boy uh, back on the farm down at Cranbrook. Um, we went through a period, would have been in the late 60s, at the latest, the early 70s. Um, we had a massive kangaroo plague. There was a big drought in central Australia. And basically every kangaroo in the state had come down to the southwest corner of the state. It was devastating our crops and the like. And, um, you know, we had a local, uh, one of our local gun clubs come down and help um, reestablish a little bit of balance, if you like, Um in there and they helped other farmers with that as well because there was just so much damage to crops and to, to the old farm fences and the like so um yeah i appreciate that understanding and certainly as i said we want to make sure we're not not affecting what you know people going about things in the right way are doing so yeah definitely look at that and um see what comes through in the bill itself unless you can show some real unity between you and the nationals you'll have no hope that a selection and we will end up with another chaotic labor. Um, look, you know, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, uh, look, we are two parties, and you know, it's a bit like you know, brothers and sisters. Look, you know, you get on most of the time. Every so often, there'll be something that comes up. I don't know, arguing about who's going to make the Christmas cake or something. <laughs> um, you know, for the family gathering, um, that you get those things. But I can tell you absolutely, the relationship between our two parties is very strong. At a personal level, I have great respect for Shane Love and the National Party. Not only he does as well, and uh, you know, from time to time, we'll have our moments, and this is one of those times. It's you know, it is. It'd be wrong to pretend it's not a bit uncomfortable when someone changes from one one of the you know from the National Party to the Liberal Party. Not so long ago, we had Ian Blady, the elected Liberal for Geraldton, move to the National Party. You know, we dealt with that in a mature way. And we got on uh, holding the government to account. I can tell you that's exactly what we're going to do in the future. Libby's committed to that. I'm committed to it. And I know the National Party are as well. So we'll get through this and we will work hard together to defeat this incompetent Cook Labor government. Um, what's the worst thing that can happen to me after not paying taxes for two years? Ah, that one's an easy one. I, the tax department, I know we sort of fear the tax department and so on. Um, just, you know, go to your accountant uh, if you've got one. Otherwise, just go online and um, and enter your affairs. The, 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 I will, look, I'll give the tax department credit. Their website, one, you can get great information off it, but two, it's really easy for you to do your tax return. Look, if you're just an ordinary Joe, look, if, you know, if, if you're Gina Reinhart and you haven't paid a billion dollars worth of tax, that's when the tax department gets serious, but... I've spoken to lots of people about this, and you know, you have your own personal experiences. The tax department are a very reasonable, good organisation, 
And ring them up. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're going to ring them up, I will, this is a bit of a criticism. If you're going to ring them up, set aside a few hours because I rang them up about something a while ago. I think it took two hours to get an answer on the end of the line, but I was just determined to speak to a human. Um, but otherwise, um, they're very good. Look, if you can afford it, uh, and it doesn't cost a lot of money, just go to account. You know, the big accounting firms, the HR blocks and whatever, I apologise to the other big accounting firms that I haven't mentioned, but, um, you know, just go along and see them and they'll sort it out, oh, you know, the, the tax department. So they are very understanding and very reasonable. They're not after the small guy. Um, you know, they're out there to catch the big evaders and, yeah, some people get behind, so they understand that. Um, I still think you guys are going to get some seats back that you lost in the last election. In uh, look, absolutely. I um, am convinced of that. Look, there's just one starting point. You are a fool if you take anything for granted in politics, and I can tell you in particular, you're a fool if you take any electorate for granted. They're not just going to vote for you because you're this or that. They're going to vote for you because they think that you're going to do the best by their community and you're going to best represent their community. I take my electorate really seriously. I don't treat my electorate like some safe seat because it's not. You know, as we saw with Curtin, that was lost to an independent um, at the last election. I take my seat seriously. I treat everyone in my electorate with respect. Um, so we've got to do that. We've got to have really good policies. We've got to have really good candidates. Um, we've got to articulate our arguments really clearly. And we've got to have a good working relationship with the nationals as well going forward. We're going to do all those things at the next election. And like you, I'm very optimistic that we're going to pick up swag of seats. Look, are we going to win government next time? That's what we're aiming to do. We will present ourselves as the alternative government at the next uh, election. And if the people of Western Australia are convinced with that, then we will be the next government. Um, you know, Otherwise, uh, we will pick up a good number of seats and be in a much stronger position after that election. All right. Just a note to everyone asking questions about guns. Uh, Dr. Ani has already answered a lot of these same questions. So I'll just ask this one and then all other questions have been answered in this Q&A session. But uh, Mark asks, are you going to fight against these Well, let's see what they're actually going to present. So as I've said to you, ministers come out and say all sorts of things. Oh, you know, look, I'll, you know, because it was very topical, the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Bill, the minister came out and said all sorts of things about uh, that legislation and how it would apply and so, you know, and uh, a lot of that just wasn't actually the case and things were much more serious than um, than uh, was sort of stated at the time. So let's, you know, there's a discussion paper out. Let's see what actually comes before Parliament and I'm really happy to talk about the bill in detail when, when we get the bill to look at, but Excuse me. There's nothing to look at at the moment in relation to that. You know, I think about earlier on, if you just joined, um, go and look at the start of the podcast. I think I outlined very clearly the principles that I will use uh, when I go through and review that bill. Um, all right. Now the last question. Uh, now that Merrill Beard is, sorry, Merrill Beard is part of the Libs, who is in opposition because Libs and Nats have these seats? Uh, each, yeah. So look, there's an opposition alliance at as things stand, the national uh, leader, the national party leader, Shane Love, is the leader of the opposition. And I think I outlined before, that won't change unless between the two of us, uh, our two parties, we come to some sort of understanding um, in relation to that. But, you know, um, we're not going to get fixated on this. And look, I thought Libby did a really great job. You know, she was hammered by the press. You know, the press interview, they were really sort of trying to beat this up and... 
and really try to hammer her, you know, in relation to this. And and uh, what Libby made really clear is she's not going to be distracted by this topic. I'm not going to be distracted by this topic, and I'm certain the National Party aren't. We'll, we'll behave like adults and we'll have mature conversations and then this will be resolved, um, you know, in, in one way or the other before we're at the next election. And as I say, after the next election, what is very clear is the Liberal Party will be the uh, opposition because we'll have more members in the lower house uh, and, um, and uh, we'll be presenting ourselves as that when we come into the election. Uh, sorry, there's actually one more question if you have time. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, the front page of the West today is a concern. I think it's very dangerous to put any man that's accused, uh, sorry, that's accused or had a BRO put on the, uh, to be put on this list. I think, I don't know why this is jumping. I think it's a very celebrity slope to get too many men who are on BROs uh, put on a list to the, the process. Anyway, it's quite a long question. But, uh, yeah, look, I think I get the thrust of the question. And, and look, it, it is one of these vexed issues. I, if I understood the intention of that, it was that people, it was around people who had breached VROs. Um, VROs are a really vexed, uh, vexed issue. Um, they're very important. I'll, let me make it very clear at the outset. I'm not, don't take, I'm not saying anything that says we don't need VROs because we do, because you know, uh, most violence is violence against men, in fact although there's egregious violence against women as well. Um, and obviously in domestic violence situations, too many, and obviously one is too many, women are killed. Um, some men are killed in domestic violence um, uh, as well. About For every, uh, it's about a one in three sort of ratio. So, you know, violence is a terrible thing uh, and violence restraining orders are aimed to where there's, you know, a likelihood or where there's evidence of violence that people are kept apart, and if they don't, um, if someone breaches that VRO, then that's a very serious criminal offence. If I understood what was proposed, it was around people who have committed violent acts whilst they were subject to a violence restraining order. Um, uh, I agree with you. Uh, look, you go to the other extreme, and many of you would have heard, in many cases of relationship breakup, um, sometimes VR violence restraining orders are applied for when there's probably not any direct evidence of any sort of, you know, threat of violence. But the courts take a precautionary approach. They say, look, just to be sure, because there are, you know, anyone who's objective in this knows there are too many examples of, of violent acts being carried out against people, in particular by, by men against women in domestic situations. So um, you, you clearly, to put every person who had a VRO and publicise their names, I think would be wrong. Um, and let's see what the government's actually proposing here. If I understand it correctly, it was around people who had committed a violent act whilst they were subject to a VRO that they were sort of talking about, and that's obviously a much smaller subset um, of the people who have violence restraining orders issued against them. All right, that's the end. Thank you very much, everyone. Look, thanks very much for uh, for listening, for watching. Um, Really appreciate you doing that. Really appreciate all the questions today. That was great. And as I say, when we get that gun built, I'll be able to be a lot more prescriptive. Um, and uh, otherwise, look, please share with your friends. It just makes um, you know the ability to get the message out so much better if you can do that. I think you probably all know that these uh, media, uh, you know, various media are very um, interesting in the way that they 
select stuff to be shared and not, but if you share it and can send it directly to your mates and get the message out. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend.